Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today is our last episode of Better Hearing and Speech Month, and I'm so excited to have Laura Kruger here. You might have seen her on social media, or might have seen maybe her dog on social media. So, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got to doing what you're doing today. Sure. So my name is Laura Kruger. I am a board-certified speech-language pathologist. I've been in the field for over nine years. I've been in a variety of settings, but right now I am in an elementary school. So I service students 3 to 12 with varying exceptionalities. And then I also have Blaze here with me, and he's an 8-year-old golden doodle. And we have been a therapy team for the last five years, and he has been coming to work with me every day at my current school for the last four years doing animal-assisted therapy. So it's been an awesome adventure, and I just have had the best experiences with him. So I love being able to come on here and talk about animal-assisted therapy because I think every school can use a therapy dog in one way or another. So what got you into considering it, getting permission for that, like, What did that entail? Yeah. So it's so funny. I always tell people that when undergrad, so many, many years ago, I remember being in research in a research class and I had this idea. I I grew up with animals. I know the impact that they had on me growing up as a child and just seeing the benefits that they have and the calming impact that they had on me. So I had this idea. And I think at the time there was probably only a few different people talking about animal assisted therapy as a very new term. And it was mostly from psychologists and counselors and things of that nature. So I was doing research and my professor at the time was like, 
you're not going to find anything on animal assisted therapy. It's not going to happen. Like just very discouraging. And I was like, ah, so I kind of gave up on the idea till graduate school. And then it was becoming more popular of a term. I was seeing some research out there, still not a lot, but I'm like, I'm going to give this a shot. And I did talk to a few people. I know at ASHA back in, I think it was 2018, there was a few different presentations on animal assisted therapy. So I'm like, Woo! but yeah, so I really, I, I had the idea since undergrad, but when I was finishing grad school, I knew I wanted a dog, Blaze fell into my lap and then the rest was kind of history. So I did do a lot of research ahead of time. So I looked up the trainings that you need to do. There's a few different ones. So I started with basic obedience training, advanced obedience training, followed by a course called Canine Good Citizens Training. This was the best training I could have done for Blaze and I because it's geared towards therapy animals and service animals, and it helps desensitize them to things that we might see in therapy. So like rough touch, people coming up behind him, maybe crowds, loud sounds. So that was the best training. And I always tell people do that training no matter what. And then I I went further and I did the therapy volunteer route. So I went and evaluated with Pet Partners or a national organization, but they are volunteer based only. So when we were first getting started, I would go to nursing homes and schools. I did libraries to read to children. And then I approached my previous principal where I was living at the time about the idea of bringing him to school. And he was totally on board with it. So we rolled with it. I started very slowly. And I always tell people too, like I didn't just jump in bringing him five days a week because you're your dog's biggest advocate. And you need to make sure that he's comfortable and he likes to do his job as well. So I started bringing him one afternoon a week. Then it came to one day and then trickled into full time where I am now. But yeah, that's how I got started. And the rest was history. That's so amazing. So what were some things you noticed like the first few times bringing him with the students? Like what were some like aha moments or even challenges? The biggest thing to me, I feel like, is seeing kids in crisis and then seeing just their body language when they see Blaze and their ability to regulate themselves just by touching him. It's incredible. And that was one of my first experiences I had a student that was just completely shut down in the hallway. Nobody could get through to her. She was trying to transition. She just couldn't do it. And we just happened to be walking by. I was going to get a student. And so we went over to her, Blaze sat right down. It's so incredible to know, like to see animals instincts, you know, with people, like they can read their emotions so well. And Blaze is very in sync with people's emotions. So he went right over to her and sat down with her and she was just sobbing and she couldn't get off the ground. And like within two minutes, she was okay. We walked Blaze down to the office and she went back to class. And it's been repetitive. So at my current school, when I first started, it was the first week we had a student elope and he was very dysregulated and we didn't know. I, I wasn't even around at the time. Again, I was just happening to walk out of my room and saw this student running away with people running behind him. And I'm like, let me try something, you know? And as soon as he saw Blaze out of the corner of his eye, he just stopped mm-hmm. and froze. And this is probably the first week that I had started bringing Blaze. So it was awesome, though, like incredible how he just totally his demeanor changed. And it happens really frequently. Like I, I always tell people to like I do behavior intervention plans with kids. So it's not just speech and language that I'm doing with Blaze on our campus. He benefits the whole school. And for instances like this and for those kiddos that are really in crisis and need it, it's amazing to see how Blaze can help them and impact them and I'll get radio calls if, 
you know, I'm available from administration and they'll say, hey, we have a kiddo that's having a really hard time getting out of the car or we have a student that really can't get off the ground. Can you come help us? And majority of the time, we're able to get them to class pretty quickly. So it's awesome. Wow. That's so amazing. That's amazing that like everyone is on board and sees the value. Yeah. And, you know, I was really nervous at first. So I started in a previous district with him and I was moving a few months into starting. So when I got to my new district, the one that I'm at now, I was like really nervous. I shared a room with another SLP. I didn't know her. I didn't know the district. And I'm like, ah. So I waited and I approached my principal later on in the school year about it. And I'm like, that's my biggest regret. I should have asked her immediately, you know, because what's the worst that would have happened? She would have said no. I already knew the impact, but I was just a little bit nervous and reserved. So the thought always crosses my mind. And I get a lot of questions on like Instagram from people. And they're like, what do you do about allergies? Or what do you do if your district's not on board? And for me, it's it's a little bit easier because Blaze is considered hypoallergenic, even though no dog, every dog has dander. No dog's considered completely non-allergic or whatever. But it was a little bit easier for me. But they also educated people before we started. So I informed the staff beforehand. I had permission slips for all of my students on my caseload. If I pushed into pre-K classes, I gave them permission slips and fact sheets as well. So I would explain exactly what we were doing in speech and language, why Blaze on campus, his training that he had. So I kind of set things up for success. And then that way, really answered people's questions and maybe their doubts at the time. And in terms of allergies, I literally, I mean, there's probably a handful or more teachers and lots of kids, obviously, that are allergic to dogs, but I haven't. Like I would have had any instances where it was an issue, but I'm also very fortunate at my school that there's three SLPs there. So if there ever was a kid that couldn't be around him at all, we could shift. Yeah. But even, you know, I have a few students throughout the years that were scared of dogs. So in those instances, we won't sit on the floor with Blaze. If they can come in the room, they sit at the table, he stays away from them and it's totally fine. It really does work out, but it is scary and overwhelming at first because there are so many factors that you have to think about. But I've just been so fortunate. I mean, my principal and my whole administration, they couldn't be more supportive. So I've been really lucky. But I mean, I think I, I the impact's so huge that if people just give it a chance for those that are skeptical, I think it can be a real game changer for every school. So, Wow. Can you share some more examples of how you incorporate Blaze into your speech therapy? Yeah. So it's so funny. I make a joke about the treasure box because the dreaded treasure box is always an issue. The kids don't like what's in there. They want it all the time. And so with Blaze, we have completely gotten rid of the treasure box and we work for walks with him, treats for him. We work on brushing him. So those are kind of like our rewards that we do. I usually will have activities either on the floor or there. if we are on the floor with Blaze, I have books, like personalized books that are all about Blaze. I have different coloring sheets with Blaze's face on them. So we can do like language activities while coloring. But on the floor with him, we I have tons of manipulatives. So I put things on him and it really like keeps the kids more focused and engaged and it brings our attention right back to him. I've seen their confidence increase, like when we're doing like literacy skills and reading comprehension. They love reading to him. It's just amazing to see. And then also too, like some of my kiddos, they will literally sit there, read to him, practice their sounds. It's like, I'm not even there. Like they want to work with Blaze instead of me, which I love because then that gives them that self-confidence and that independence and the carryover skills. So it's pretty cool. But I feel like the kids that come into our room now, they're like, 
they already know the deal. We go right to our seats or on the floor. I have like little environmental cues if we're on the floor so we don't get a lot of wiggle worms around. But I love being able to be flexible and be either on the floor or at the table because kids need movement and they benefit from that. So those are some of the things that we do. That's so amazing. I love that you you blaze as another speech therapist and you're just there watching. (laughs) I know. I know. Right. It's really funny because we will be walking around school and everyone's like, hey, please, hey, please. So I just wait. I'm like, hi. You know, not like, hey, I work here too. (laughs) Yeah. I never get, hey, Miss Kruger, hey, Miss K. It's always, hey, please. But it's kind of become a, a running joke. With like our staff and stuff. So now they make sure they go out of their way. They're like, hey, Miss Brugger. I'm like, hi, you guys recognize me. <laughs> but Blaze ever been sick or something and hasn't been able to show up one day and it was completely like. <laughs> no, but you know what's funny? So I have kiddos that have behavior intervention plans and they earn time with Blaze. So we have Blaze puzzles, kind of like token boards. Or even not just that, but like if kids are having a really rough day and they turn it around, they earn time with Blaze. So he's like a reward for kids. So it stinks if I'm like in a meeting or if I'm absent that day, like the guilt is real because I'm like, oh, no, Blaze isn't there. (laughs) But it's okay because then we'll just re, you know, the next day we follow through with things. But yeah, there's been plenty of times that I'm not there and then he's not either. Or like somebody will text me and be like, hey, can you bring Blaze out front? I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm not there today. I'm entitled to have a sick day. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, even like sometimes, yeah, actually just the other day. I had a office person come to me and I had a group and they were like, is Blaze available? And I'm like, well, you could try and take him with you to help a student if you want. But I was in a group, so I couldn't go. And he went, he went with them. He left the office. He goes to the office to get treats all the time from the office staff. So I think he knew where he was going, but he helped the student get right to class. So that was good. But there are definitely times that we're, we're not available and it's okay. We make do. Have you had any challenges where you felt like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Yeah. So I service a multi-population. So it's a classroom, a small classroom with kids with Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, autism. And some of those kiddos have just such heightened sensory needs and things of that nature that Blaze is kind of like maybe a little bit too much for them. So like one of my kiddos, she loves his eyeballs. Like she loves the feeling of eyes in general the texture, everything. So I couldn't bring him in, you know, in that classroom because it puts him and her at a little bit of a dis, you know, comfortable feeling range, whatever. I honestly, I could never see him doing anything harmful to anyone, but you just never know. And you're your dog's biggest advocate. So for me to be successful doing therapy while having him in the room, I need it to be a a calm environment. I can't be watching and wondering if she's poking his eyes out or if he's getting uncomfortable while doing therapy. It just wouldn't be conducive. So there are times and and students like that that unfortunately can't do actual therapy with him. But for like, since she loves him so much, I still go and visit the classroom. It's just not times when I'm doing actual push-in therapy because of that reason. So what do you do with Blaze in those moments? Yeah, he stays in my room. He stays in my room. There's four of us, actually. So there's three SLPs and then we have a para. So we have a large enough room, but usually somebody's in there all the time with him if I'm in the classroom. But I really try to limit that and have him with me as much as possible. But it is challenging. And, you know, like I was saying, like, and I've said to multiple people, like on Instagram and things, it stinks when 
you have a student that's allergic maybe or like that doesn't like dogs or that you just don't have permission to work with them with your animal because then you are kind of blinded to like if you're doing group therapy and this one student can't be around blaze you're limiting the other kids from having time with him but like you have to just do what's best for the students like that's your main focus you know so you just work around it like for her i try and do different days of therapy with different students so that they can all still incorporate blaze and then her and i will do something different at different days so I just kind of move things. I mean, that's what a uh, big part of our job is, right? <laughs> moving things around, rescheduling, moving groups all year long. So you just kind of roll with it. But I think, you know, that's probably the biggest challenge that I have is like when kids can't be around them. But other than that, I really I haven't had many challenges. Knock on wood. That's amazing. That's amazing that yeah. you've administration, parents, colleagues, secretarial staff, like all on board. That's amazing. Yeah. And of course, there's people that are skeptical of it. Like I remember we have a Facebook page for our school and a parent commented on like one of our pictures and they're like, I hope they're doing math. I think we covered him in pizza or something along those lines. And like we were doing our tick drills. They were doing, you know, 10 to 15 words and putting a pizza topping on it, like that kind of stuff. But when you just see a picture, of course, people can be like, what is that? You know, there's so much more to it than what meets the eye, so to speak. So it is still, I mean, that's really why I made Blaze's Instagram page and I'm trying to like connect with other, other people because I'm such an advocate for it. I see the impact that it has and I know lots of other people are now, but for those that are still skeptical or unsure about how to go around things and, and learn, I think it's so important to just spread awareness because there's such a need for dogs in schools. It's amazing. I actually have connected with a few other employees in our district. So a, a counselor just recently started a program at her school with her dog. And then there was another SLP that was trying to get started. I'm not sure if she has yet, but I just, I love it. And honestly, like a lot of our district staff, and like our board members that have come out, I'm always like pushing for it. I'm like, every school should have a therapy dog. If you need me to come present, every school needs one. And everyone uh, has been super supportive. So I'm definitely lucky. That's amazing. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who is listening and saying, oh my gosh, I want to bring this to my school. I want to bring my dog or I need to go find a dog first to then bring. <laughs> where, where do they start? Yeah. Well, I would say start now. Don't wait like I did when I when I was getting started because you don't want to waste any time and the benefits are so amazing. But if you already have a dog and you're looking into animals as a therapy, I would start with that basic and advanced obedience training. The canine good citizens training is a must. You have to have that anyway. And I think it's so important to have because like I said, it really helps both you and the dog. And then if they wanted to do the therapy volunteer route, they could look into different organizations. So I was with Pet Partners, um, but there's also Therapy Dogs International. And I believe there's Alliance Therapy Dogs Alliance. There's a few out there. And some of them actually offer liability insurance for the workplace. So Pet Partners is only volunteer-based, so I had to get my own liability insurance when I started with Blaze. But there's a great group on Facebook called School Therapy Dogs. So if somebody's interested in, like, there's so much information on these Facebook groups. There's also Speech Animals as a Therapy a group on there. And they have proposals like, you know, PowerPoints and handouts and things to go to people's boards and districts and their schools, you know, or whatever or to approach their principal. But like if, if you're done the training, you're ready to start, I will go to your principal first. Definitely get them on board because they're going to be your biggest advocate and support for yourself. And then if you needed to, you know, go look up the research, do the research, collect the evidence, 
use the testimonials. I know I've seen a few out there and then really present it in a way that will show the impact that the animal will have to the board or whoever they need to do. I'm going to ask a dumb question and maybe it is not dumb and maybe people listening are wondering, is there a specific breeds of dogs that are more suited for being a service dog? No, and that's not a dumb question. Um, no, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I've seen even like pit bulls, which is a very controversial breed, become therapy dogs and animals. I think that maybe it would be harder for certain breeds to be accepted in districts because I have read threads about districts refusing certain breeds. But as far as I know, that there are no restrictions for any type of breed. And I think it really just depends on the dog and the handler. Like, the connection that you have with your dog. And I remember when I, I did the canine good citizens training, my trainer, Blaze, was a rescue. I He was a breeder dog. So like when I got him, he was super shy and timid. I wasn't sure if he was ever going to be able to do therapy work because of how like scared he was. But as I worked with him and we grew together and a few months later, we started these trainings night and day. But with my first training, I was talking to the trainer about what I wanted to do with him. And she's like, I don't know if he'll ever be a good fit. And I'm like, um, and we proved her wrong, obviously. So you really just don't know until you get started if your dog's going to be a good fit, but you have to try, you have to do the trainings and socializing so good too. Like I always talk to people who are just getting started and say, go to Lowe's, go to all those dog friendly places and socialize your dog. Like not just at dog parks, but go where people are so that your dog can get lots of interaction do lots of touching at home. If you have a puppy, like touch the paw pads, the tail, that kind of stuff to desensitize them to those feelings. And really, I think socialization is the biggest key when you're training and getting started with your dog because it like Blaze is such a mush. Like he loves attention. Like he will call at you if you're not petting him. If my students aren't paying attention to him, he starts rolling over, like it knocks all of our stuff off. So <laughs> he loves attention. So I think your dog is dog friendly, loves attention or human friendly, I should say. Um, I think we'll be a good fit, but you just really don't know until you get started with the trainings. But and how long are these trainings? Like, length? um, so they're usually I think six to eight weeks each, and so there's no set I guess time frame that you have to complete the trainings in. But you you shouldn't start therapy work till the dog is at least a year. And I don't think that certain like the Canine Good Citizens course, I don't think you can do it before a year. So I think that gives the dog enough time to grow a little bit and that kind of thing. So, but I, the test, the, for the canine good citizens test, I was super nervous, like the praxis nervous type. Like I was like, oh, am I going to be able to pass this the first time? But you can take it multiple times if you fail, just like the praxis. And fortunately we passed on the first try, but it was kind of intense, but it was literally, it was 15 minutes, you know, and it's, it's really just making sure that all the training that we did carried over and that we're ready for the next step, which should be the therapy work. That's so amazing. And then you also mentioned like you needed malpractice insurance for him. Like, is there Mm -hmm. certain companies? Is it the same ones that like we use for us? Like, how does that work? No. So I know for pro liability, at least they did not approve me having him on my insurance. So I use HPSO. So that's one. But like I said, that school therapy dogs Facebook page has tons of information for insurance companies because that's a very common question that people ask. And um, that page has counselors and physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, has everybody on there. So it's a really good networking community too. But yeah, I mean, for me, like I had to submit Blaze's paperwork to HR. Like after I got my principal's approval, it was pretty simple, but I know all districts are not like that. So to have your own liability insurance to say like, hey, I'm prepared. This is on me. 
and my dog and this is what we have. I think that helps sell the idea a little bit more as well. But it also, obviously for us in our field anyway, like you want the coverage and you want to protect yourself. And then of course you want to protect your dog. So it's, it's good to have, but I'm not sure. I don't know about other ones. I just thought oh, that's the one that I use. That's just a separate insurance just for them, separate than the ones for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any last bit of advice that you'd give to someone considering it, wanting to incorporate it, someone who's sh- a little hesitant? Yeah, I would say start out slow. Don't rush things. If you do get approval, you don't have to start doing therapy five days a week. You can even just, I honestly would bring my dog, like when Blaze and I first started our new school, I didn't incorporate him into therapy right away. I just had him in the room with us. I had the kids getting used to him, him getting used to the kids, making sure he still liked his job, watching really for his stress signal. So I also, in the beginning of the school year, we go over ways that we talk to Blaze, we pet Blaze, we handle him, ways to walk him. We go through all these things to set us up for success. But then we also talk about his stress signals and it's really good. It's a kind of like a social and emotional lesson that I incorporate because I'm like, we think about Blaze the same way we look at our bodies and what we need in our emotions. And since he can't tell us, if he's lying in the middle of our circle and he starts to get up and walk away, we aren't going to touch him because he needs a break. He's showing us that he's had too much and that he needs to step away for a minute, just like some of us get overwhelmed and we need a break and we need to move away and and calm down, do our deep breathing, whatever. So we talk about his stress signals. So if he's panting a lot outside, if he's pulling or not pulling, which he never does, but, you know, just little different things that I make my students be aware of so that we know that we're all on the same page, blazing his breaks just like we do. I don't use him in every single session either. I think that's an important thing to mention because I think people have this idea of like, you know, okay, we're going to go do eight hours of therapy with the dog on the floor. It doesn't happen that way. And that's fine. There are certain groups that benefit from him more than others do. And so that's where we have these other materials and activities. Like I say, Blaze is not a goal. You know, I'm still using my my student's goals. He's a supplement or an extra material to me. So never changing anything that has to do with our students' needs. He's just additional support. So that's another important thing that I always like to preface with, too. You don't have to always use him in sessions for it to be successful. Like I said, you can walk him afterwards. The kids can give him treats. There's different ways to incorporate him without actually doing the therapy work. So how often do you have to go take him to the bathroom? To the He holds it. But it's <laughs> funny. I'm, for, I'm in a portable, which is like... But I'm fortunate enough in our portable that we have like a fenced in area and that's the only place that he goes to the bathroom. So he knows that he's allowed to go there, but that's it. <laughs> Kids are walking in from recess all the time. They're like, Blaze is going to potty. Give him privacy. So I'm like, here we are, you know, but I mean, yeah, he's, he's a dog. He has to go. I have his water bowl. He has a bed in my room. He has his toys, which I we keep separate from the therapy animal space, you know, and so that he knows therapy work versus his relaxing time which he's really good about he honestly is just a very chill dog i'm very fortunate but if you have a more hyper dog or a dog that really likes to play with toys keep it separate from the therapy space so then he knows work versus play and relaxation time that kind of stuff but yeah he doesn't need to go out too much he'll just he'll wander over there when we're coming back like i'll let him off the leash and he just goes body and comes back inside so it's no accidents on therapy material right <laughs> One time he tried to grab one of our manipulatives. Like it was, I don't even know what it was. It was a felt piece of something. And 
Oh my gosh, it was so funny because my kids were like, oh my gosh, she's trying to play with it. I'm like, no, this is not this is not what we're doing. He does not play with our toys. And he did, and he dropped it right away. But I'm like, we keep that stuff separate. Does he need quiet time after work like we do? No, I don't think so. But I don't, I don't volunteer anymore because once I started bringing him five days a week, I just felt like it was too much for both of us, you know? And I don't want to stress him out and make him not like his job anymore. So I do think, he probably is exhausted at the end of the day. <laughs> but it's so funny, like in the work in the mornings, if I'm not going to work and I grab like my regular purse instead of my work bag, you can just see like the change of look in his face. I feel horrible in like, days that I don't bring him, which is are very rare. But if I have a doctor's appointment first, I'll go to the doctor's appointment, go back and get him. And he's like, Wait, you're leaving me? Like, I'm not going. Like he gets so excited when he sees my work bag. So that's how I know that he still likes his job because he's super excited to go in the mornings and he definitely slows down throughout the day. You could, he'll start to like walk a little bit slower, but I'm in, out, we're in an outside campus and I'm in Florida, so it's hot. So after we're going to pick up kids a few times, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll sit this one, I'll stay back for this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes I will. I'll leave him or my parents will get my kids for me. I'm like, please, needed a nap. He was really hot. What I bring into all my IEP meetings, I make sure like when the parents come in, I'm like, are you okay with Blaze? Because most of them know him. And it's so funny because he le- he sleeps the whole time, but he makes these big loud sigh noises. Like, you know, the exhausted sounds are like the, oh my gosh, we're not done yet. Like these deep breaths. And it's always on point. It will always be like at the end of like a two or three hour meeting with a lot of people in it or like and a, a not so fun meeting and it's just is really funny like people crack up all the time they're like he feels exactly how we feel and he's just showing us and telling because <laughs> he's a dog and can totally get away with it we can't yeah i'm <laughs> like gosh can we be finished yet <laughs> oh my goodness but yeah it's awesome that is amazing i give you so much credit for going through all the trainings and taking this passion and idea and bringing it to life and now showcasing it on social media you wrote an article for Asher. like there's so much that you're doing to get the word out so others yeah. can be doing this as well so thank you so so much for coming on the show today and even sharing your knowledge with everyone listening i know everyone listening either like saying oh my goodness like i want to try that or i'm just envious that she's able to so yeah well, and if anybody ever listening to this is interested, reach out to me. I love connecting with people on Instagram and helping them in any way I can. Because like I said, I think every school, I mean, every facility needs a therapy dog, honestly. So whatever I can do to help spread awareness, I am all for. So feel free to reach out to me anytime. And I just love connecting with people and seeing their experiences and adventures too. So thanks for having me. Well, also, and we're going to have links in the show notes not to worry, but the Instagram handle is Blaze the Speech Dude. Yep. D-O-O-D. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the Facebook page is Happy Tales Speech. So definitely make sure you guys check those out. It will be in the show notes. Also, we'll have the link in the show notes to the Ashley Leader article, but it's also in her Instagram bio. So if you go to Instagram, it is there. I promise you, if you want to get more information, read up on it. Share it with a colleague, share it with an administrator, be like, hey, this works. It's coming to try out for next year. This is the time to do it while we're getting into the summer. That's so, right. so go, you know, train your dog all summer. No, I'm just kidding. Yep. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much. I always end my episodes with a joke. So I felt like it would be appropriate to have a special dog joke for you. I love it. What do you do if your dog chews a dictionary? 
I don't know what. Take the words out of his mouth. <laughs> but um, that was a really good one. <laughs> I had like a, I googled like dog jokes, and I was like, okay, some of these are really cheesy. I was like, that's a good one. That's a good okay. one. And it relates to us. Mm-hmm. You know, totally relates. And I can use that with your students tomorrow. And I'm like, hey guys, like it's a dog joke because of Blaze. So I love it. I'm going to do it for sure. (laughs) But thank you so much, Laura. Everyone listening, go check her out on Instagram. And until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.